This is Tailgate Till May, your place for year-round college sports talk. I'm your host, Stephen Gorgie, and I'm excited to be back for another episode. Today, we're going heavy on college hoops. We're going to talk about college basketball coaches going into their third year at a school, talk a little bit about the NBA draft and what the draft told us about the state of college basketball. And of course, we're going to do some trivia, the hottest trivia show since Baby Billy's Bible Bonkers. It's sweeping the nation just like Uncle Baby Billy's new show. So we got that coming at you, Ben Bryan. Doesn't seem like you guys know what that is because you're not caught up on Righteous Gemstones, which is a shame. But other than that, how are you doing, Brian? I'm doing great, man. I'm, uh, I was going to use this space today for a shameless plug because I'm really excited. We're on TikTok. So listeners out there, follow Tailgate Till May, Instagram, YouTube as well. Uh, excited about what we're doing. Bunch of likes, bunch of views. Uh, but yes, I need to view all of my HBO shows, Righteous Gemstones, I'm still catching up on succession. I'm way behind. I'm months behind, guys. Uh, so I'll get there, but I'm doing great. Ben, how are you? I'm doing good. Doing good. Uh, sad that Steven's ahead of me on uh, Righteous Gemstones, but I'm pretty much caught up on everything else. So hopefully I'll get all of his other references. We'll see if he peppers in a few more jokes. But other than that, I'm just ready to uh, defend this nice little guy that you see here. Big old champion. Still on my neck. Still weighing me down. But uh, you know what? Better weigh me down than see on your guys' neck. So, you guys got this week. It's tough. Really have to come in, bring the mood down right away. We ended on a somber note to end last episode with Ben as the champion. Seems like we're coming in with a somber note to start this episode as well. But enough of that. Let's get the energy up because we got some college hoops to talk about. Last week, we talked about college football coaches who are going into their third year at a school. I uh, thought that was a, a really fun exercise. Figured, why not do it with the basketball coaches as well? Because, guys, we are fans of a school in Maryland that had uh, a bit of experience with a coach going into his third year, not doing very well, stuck around about seven more after that. But it felt <laughs> like nothing really was ever quite right after that third year missed the tournament three years in a row that's of course Mark Turgeon at Maryland and and it felt like that was kind of a death knell to his tenure no matter what happened after that there was still that bad taste in in our mouth as fans that does this guy you know is this thing ever gonna really be right because it got off to such a rocky start so three years in especially in this modern day and age of college basketball with the transfer portal it seems like by that point if you're gonna turn things around you really should be have turned it around uh, by year three. I don't think going forward we're going to see too many coaches that get more than three, four, five years to really turn things around at a school. So let's get into it. Let's get into some of the coaches who were hired three years ago. That's after the 2020-2021 season. There was quite a few of them, and, and quite a few of them are actually already gone. Uh, of course, the most notable name on that list, probably Chris Beard, who left Texas Tech to go to Texas, uh, of course, was fired mid-season due to uh, off-the-court issues. Chris Beard now coaching at Ole Miss. Uh, the man who replaced him at Texas Tech, Mark Adams, took over for him. Um, he is no longer the coach there. Grant McCaslin is now the head coach of Texas Tech. Isaac Brown was hired at Wichita State. Um, he is no longer there. Paul Mills is their head coach. And uh, a couple others, maybe notably Micah Shrewsbury at Penn State, left the Purdue staff to go to Penn State. Now he left Penn State to go to Notre Dame. So a bunch of these guys 
are already gone from the school that hired them three years ago, but there's still a ton of big names left. We got Hubert Davis in North Carolina, Mike Woodson in Indiana, Shaka Smart at Marquette, Tommy Lloyd at Arizona. So some really big names in the sport are among this list. So let's get right into things. Brian, I'm going to start with you. Who do you think of this group of coaches hired three years ago, going into their third season at their new school? Who was the best hire of this group? But to me, this one's this one's kind of a layup based on based on performance through the first two years. And to me, it's Arizona's Tommy Lloyd, right? He's he's been a one seed and a two seed in his first two seasons. After they hadn't been to the tournament for three seasons before his hiring, he's kind of reshaping and retooling the roster on the fly well like you need to. He brought in Caleb Love when Caleb Love seemed off the market, for example, a nice addition as a, as a scoring punch to the team this year. Um, he just he took a program that was, that was a little bit lost, I think it's fair to say, after all that went down with Sean Miller um, and has really gotten it immediately back on track. I, I'm excited about this discussion today because I think that He's the best to date, and I think that there are quite a few guys you named that have a lot of momentum in their program that are reasonably – it's reasonable to expect them to, if we had this discussion in another two years or so, uh, that they could make the list. For now, I'd be curious to see if you agree, but for now, I think it's Tommy Lloyd hands down. I don't agree. That's what I'll say off the bat. Uh, I mean, yes, great hire, ultimately. Arizona, though. Pretty good school. They had those three years. I mean, there was maybe a little bit of a scandal going on. I don't know if you guys heard about it. Uh, but, you know, maybe that explains the downturn. Sean Miller doing some things. But, you know, even before then, perennial powerhouse. Pretty good. One I think is the best hire so far. And it really, one, makes me realize, looking at this list, how my I don't comprehend time very well. And I don't understand how some of these coaches have only been here for this short amount of time or this long amount of time. Uh, like, it just seems to me like Shaka Smart was at Texas, you know, last year, you know, before two years ago, doing green lights and leading Texas to all sorts of good things. But, I mean, he turned around Marquette. I mean, Marquette was, you know, when Buzz was there, they were pretty darn good. You guys know I love Buzz. Um, pretty powerhouse in the uh, Big East. But uh, now if you look at, I mean, if you look at Woj, Steve Woj, I have not even try and pronounce his last name uh can't say belima so no way i'm gonna say wojnikowski or whatever that is um besides marcus howard they weren't that good they were pretty bad i mean marcus howard was obviously a one of the best top 20 players in college basketball the last 10 years and then he turned around in same roster basically from last year to this past year that makes no sense but i'm gonna roll with it you know what i mean um and they're really good. And I'm great, curious to see what he's going to do this next year. I feel like he's kind of that camaraderie guy, gets the best out of his players. And for him to pretty much lose, what, one guy this coming year, I think they're going to be pretty good. And, I mean, he's a he's a Midwest boy. So I'm excited to see what he's going to do at Marquette. Steven, you, uh, whose side are you on? I think those are the clear top two. I do tend to side with Brian here. I don't think you can... I don't think you can argue with Tommy Lloyd's track record. Brian mentioned it, a one and a two seed in his first two seasons. 
the one thing that is a little concerning to me right now with Tommy Lloyd, yes, Brian, he he went out and he got Caleb Love, but he missed on Ryan Nemhard in the transfer portal. And that was a guy, it seemed to be a Gonzaga-Arizona battle. And Tommy Lloyd, while at Gonzaga, was a huge part of, of landing his brother at Gonzaga. So I think a lot of people assumed he was going to be able to do the same, get Ryan to, to go to Tucson. I think Ryan Nemhard is a better player than Caleb Love as as highly touted as Caleb Love is, there's still a lot of questions about that last season that he had at North Carolina. So while I think it's a good addition, I don't think it's an addition without question marks around it. And then with Arizona, it's funny, as I'm talking through this, I'm not, it sounds like I'm not making the case for Tommy Lloyd, but he's been exceptional so far. I'm just trying to think as we go forward in the future here, you know, can he sustain that? Because he was known as Mark Few's recruiting guy more or less, right? He was a huge part of putting those great classes together and building those Gonzaga teams. But you look at the recruiting rankings for uh, this this upcoming season here, and they don't got, have a guy. Arizona doesn't have a guy in the top 100 of the ranking. So that's the only thing that makes me wonder a little bit when you look at the future of Arizona. Clearly, he's been able to figure it out so far. Um Arizona has a long history of getting international prospects as well, especially under Sean Miller. And of course, Gonzaga uh, has, a, has a long history of getting international guys as well. So th- that's my only question for the future here is he has this reputation as a recruiter. Can he really step it up to that level where they're consistently bringing in the kind of classes you need to win national championships? I'm still a big believer. You have to recruit extraordinarily well at the high school level to win national championships and supplement it through the transfer portal. And I think UConn's perfect example of that from this past season. They recruited really well, but they supplemented through the transfer portal. And that's kind of my question at the moment with Arizona moving forward is, can they do that and supplement with the transfer portal rather than kind of solely, and not saying they're solely relying on it, but it seems like they're more heavily reliant at this moment that I would like them to see them be. Having said that, you can't argue with a one and a two seed over the first uh, two years, both these schools are going to be probably top 10 to top 15 programs going into this season. Brian, do you think that if you just look at the year ahead, which one of these two do you think is better positioned? Is it Arizona or Marquette? Oh man. I I think it might be Marquette this year. Uh, They return the big East player of the year. uh, Tyler Colick. They, they return most of their team. Omax prosper stayed in the draft, right? But their sixth man slots kind of right into that role from last year. So it's, it's a ton, a ton of continuity. Um, I, I mean, one thing that I think we do have to note is like these, I, I think you're right. These are the clear top two in the first four seasons. So two for each guy, uh, we're talking about three NCAA tournament wins. So you have to do it when it matters the most too. Arizona obviously got upset big time this year. Marquette coming off the regular season and tournament Big East title, uh, only won a game as well. So I would love to see it there. Yeah, I think so to to kind of segue into our our next question, which was going to be the coaching program I'm most interested for in 23. I won't take up a long time on this because this is where I had Shaka and Marquette because there's a lot of momentum in the program because a nine seed in year one to a two seed in year two, returning all of those guys. David Joplin is the name I was looking for. And he has a top 100 recruit unlike some other guy on this list. 
Perfect. Yeah. Not, not a competition. Appreciate it. Uh, but just, just saying, I think that it's going to be an interesting year. Uh, Steven, who do you have for, for, for the most interested this year? Yeah, I, I got a couple. Ben didn't like that I had a couple here. So I'll, I'll, you're monopolizing. I'll go with you're the one. I just think there's a lot of interesting teams out there and, and I'll go with the yeah, one that, are. that Ben wasn't thinking of. I think Cincinnati and Wes Miller are in an extraordinarily interesting spot. One, He's going into year three, hasn't made the tournament yet, uh, but he showed improvement. They they were a much improved team last year than they were in his first year. The second really interesting thing about them is they're, they're transitioning into the Big 12, the best college basketball conference in the country. So you have a coach and a program that's trying to show incremental improvement while upgrading the competition level that they're going to be playing at significantly. So it's what happens with them as they try to improve, but are also going into the big 12. They had a couple guys in Landers, Nolly and David DeJulius who were both uh, seniors on last year's team and Landers, Nolly, he'd been around a bunch of places, Virginia tech, Memphis, uh, but both all conference guys and they're gone. So, you know, that, that raises some eyebrows about, yeah, you had some improvement last year, but now you lose two huge pieces off that team. What happens? They do have a nice transfer hall coming in, but there, there's some question marks with that as well. Uh, they have a big guy, Aziz Bandago. I think he's from Utah Valley State, a seven-footer, but he's transferred twice already, and he may or may not be eligible to play this season. The NCAA supposedly is trying to cut down on waivers given how much free mobility there already is in the sport right now. So if he can't play, that's a big deal. All in all, I, I just think given Wes Miller's track record at, at UNC Greensboro and what he did there, his reputation as being an up-and-coming coach, the history of Cincinnati basketball, and now them moving into the Big 12 creates a very interesting mix where I think the expectation would be that they don't make the tournament again this year. They struggle a little bit with that transition into the Big 12, but are Cincinnati fans going to be okay with that? How much slack are they going to are they going to cut Wes Miller? I would argue they should cut him a lot of slack. I would argue that uh, transitioning into the from the AAC to the Big Twelve for basketball is going to be as difficult, if not more so, than transitioning from the Big Twelve to the SEC for football, like Texas and Oklahoma are about to do. So I think they should cut him a lot of slack. Uh, I I just think it's going to be a very hard case to judge with a, inheriting a program that was not very good, that's making small improvements and now moving to uh, the best basketball conference in America in the big 12. Yeah. it's a lot of good points. I mean, speaking of the best conference in the big 12, TJ Otzi, that's the guy I'm looking for. Um, I completely forgot as well. This goes with my whole, do you know his name? Do you, can you say his real name? Otzelberger? If it's like TJ Oshi, might as well be TJ Oshi. So let's just let's just do a pronunciation check on things so far today. It's it's not it's Bielema, by the way. You still hadn't uh, hadn't got that right. Bielema Wojciechowski, Wojciechowski, Steve Wojciechowski, former Marquette coach, former Duke point guard, and TJ Otzelberger. So there we go. Otzel. I think I I think I need you to take a stab uninterrupted each time because it might be my favorite TikTok <laughs> we ever post. It's just spliced together. You mispronouncing every name that might be even the least bit difficult. Uh, yeah. It's good content. Thanks, man. Uh, yeah. Well, TJ Otzi, um, I <laughs> forgot that they were two and whatever, 28, whatever they were that one year. Um, and then he just came in and completely turned them around. to so a top 10, 
you know, you guys forgot how much I love Kenny P. So I've been all over Kenny P the last couple of days looking up, preparing for this episode. Number eight, number five, the last couple of years. They do lose a lot of people this year, like a lot of people. But I mean, if he can turn around something with, I think he's more of like the mindset. And I was listening to, he's another Midwest boy that I was listening to today. Just talk. It's just so great. Listen to those Midwest boys talking in their accents and everything, but it's something else. Um, talking about how it's just like the team mentality and you in practice, you play against the guys that maybe seen on TV and you get more respect for it when you actually play in practice. So I'm excited to see if they can continue their, you know, caught streak that they had the last couple of years. They ran into a little bit of a wall at the end of last season, but I feel like the big 12's got a little, uh, a little tumultuous over the last few years with the whole Chris Beard thing. Texas tech now is uh, not quite the powerhouse they once were. Baylor's wavering, so on some signs of... Uh, Baylor's not wavering. Come on, Ben. They're not as, Come like, on, top three. Ben. They're not, like, for, what, three years, they were considered, by far, top three program in the country. Now they're a little bit. A little bit, see, a little bit of uh, vulnerability from that top three. Like, they're still a top 25 team, for sure, but they're not stranglehold at the top like they were previous seasons. Yeah, just, right? a, that's just all a three seed last year, no big deal. Just one of the top 12 yeah. teams in the country. 12, but that's not top three. Well, let's uh, learn how to do your math there. Um, so, yeah, I'm curious to see and what they can do. this is an argument for Iowa State how? Because <laughs> I'm, I'm most interested to see what they can do this year because of what he has done the last two years and can he continue to improve year over year and – with his, I mean, because he's not, he did recruit really well. He got the number 11 recruit and what the number like 40 something. So he's got that going for him too. That yes, he did lose talent, but he still can bring it in. Um, so I'm curious to see. That's all I'm saying. No, guys, Ben, is, you I, know, to, to your point, I mean, I think you're making a good point there despite uh, slandering Baylor there a little <laughs> bit because they did, they, they floundered down the stretch last year. I believe they lost, uh, I, I believe they, I think they went three and eight to end the regular season, and then they lost in the first round of the NCAA tournament to Pitt as a smashed by Pitt. Yeah, and Pitt was a play-in team, if I remember. Was the number six play-in? Right. So, no, I think it is a good point because he came in and he turned things around so quickly, but. It feels like with Otzelberger there, he's a re- he's a big guy on attitude, right? It's like attitude, effort, hustle. They're gonna lock you down defensively, and I just. I kind of wonder if you don't have exactly the right group of guys, how long does that last, especially playing in such a talent-rich conference? Now, you did say he is bringing in some good talent, which you got to do, but I agree with you. It is going to be an interesting one to watch. So I want to talk about Indiana a little bit there. I want to talk about Mike Woodson because Ben made a big fuss about me putting two names on the list and then didn't even want to talk about Indiana and Mike Woodson. Yeah, I and was going to bring him up, but then Otzi piqued my interest a little bit too much. Okay, you know? well, Once I watched that video. Well, we got we got to talk. We got to talk Indiana here because I'm, I'm extraordinarily interested in what they got going on with Mike Woodson. Mike Woodson, no question, has been a, a big upgrade from Archie Miller because they're actually making the NCAA tournament, which is a, a must-do at Indiana. But this is going to be Woodson's third year there. It's going to be his first season without Trace Jackson Davis. Trace Jackson Davis, uh, I think without a doubt, the second best player in the country last year to Zach Eady, really the only person who could have given him a run at all for National Player of the Year. Just an unbelievable four-year career at Indiana. And Mike Woodson relied on him 
a ton. And now he's not going to have him. And not only is he not going to have Trace Jackson Davis, he's not going to have Race Thompson either. Those are two guys that started at him for the four at the four and five spot for the last two years. And my big question with with Mike Woodson and this Indiana program is without those two big guys, is Mike Woodson going to adjust his his style and go away from playing four bigs or sorry, two bigs and two bigs who can't shoot threes? Trace, Trace Jackson Davis shot zero threes all of last year. He didn't attempt a three point shot. And uh, Race Thompson at the four spot, he only took like uh, around 40 and it was an under 30 percent shooter. And in the modern day and age of college basketball, you can't have that. It kills spacing. The teams don't have to respect the three, and it's a real problem. And so my question is, without those guys, is Woodson going to get into the 21st century with the way that college basketball is played and get a floor spacing big out there? Based on who he's brought in in the transfer portal, it doesn't seem like it because uh, Khalil Ware, a transfer from Oregon, he's rated as 24-7 sports um I think second behind Hunter Dickinson. I think he's number two behind Hunter Dickinson transfer. Either way, super highly touted transfer, but he's not a three-point shooter. I mean, he's not a guy that's going to space the floor at the five spot. So that is my biggest question watching Indiana this year is they don't have TJD. uh, And what is Woodson going to do without him? And then what kind of ball is he going to play? He's been better than Archie Miller, but I still don't think he's where Indiana fans want. Am I being a little too hard on, on Woodson here, Brian? No, I don't think so. I think uh, where that's a great call out. It felt like he was trying to replace what he had and also respond to the fact that, yeah, for his years in the Big Ten, he's had to deal with Zach Eadie. He's had to deal with Hunter Dickinson. It's tough to defend those guys and where's a body that you can stick down low and do that. But on the offensive side of the ball, it doesn't feel like we should expect to see as much evolution as maybe you should. So I think that's a great call out. He's absolutely not a three-point shooter. They have a ton of talented guys that brought in another top 10 recruit this year. Uh, the, the Duke commit, I'm going to pull a Ben here and not try to uh, pronounce it, but he decommitted from Duke and now he's committed to Indiana. Um, they had a lot, they had five stars who didn't get a ton of run last year. So the talent is there, but it's about being used the right way. And I have questions about that too. Do you think that it's, potentially better if you're a big 10 team that can recruit at that level like indiana can like we think maryland might be able to like illinois might be able to do you think there's a philosophy where you could say hey maybe we're gonna punt on building a team that can win a big 10 title but is better positioned to win a national title because i'm starting to think that the two could potentially not quite be congruent they might not align with each other and Illinois seemed like they almost tried to go that route last year I think they had a lot of mismatch mismatch pieces that just didn't quite work together but I I don't know I don't know that if your goal is to win a national title you should necessarily be concerned with building your roster to win a Big Ten title I think that makes a ton of sense. And I think there's a reason a Big Ten team hasn't won a title in a really long time because they have these sort of archaic roster construction. So I think that's a wonderful point for sure. Oh, good word, archaic. I like that one. All right, let's move on to our next top talking point here, our last category, and that's the coach or program that most needs a good year in 2023. Ben, who do you have here? Uh, to me, this one was pretty obvious. Uh, it's got to be Hugh Davis. I know there was a lot of questions when he first came in. What, you guys are laughing? I think that's a joke. Just a good, good buddy of his? Just calling him Hugh? Yeah, Hugh. 
Do you think he's H U or just H U E? Uh, I think he's Hubert. Okay. <laughs> Hubert. Right. Well, Hugh. Um, obviously, everyone knows what happened last year. They weren't very good before they had that run. I mean, even that year. I mean, they've been pretty much a perennial forty Ken Palm plus, give or take, for him. And kind of the interesting thing that I am looking at is another coach on this list, Wes Miller, who was a NC UNC player uh, once back in the day. He's having a good run. And if he can put something together at Cincinnati and Hugh, once again, kind of flounders a little bit, it's maybe, I mean, there are short leashes at UNC. Uh, I forget the guy after Dean Smith. He lasted three years. Matt Doherty lasted four years. Well, Obviously Guthridge, a little bit different. Guthridge retired and Guthridge got to a final four, a long time. Dean Smith assistant got to a final four and I think he was just done. Uh, but yeah, Doherty didn't last super long. Very much. All right. That was a little bit before my time. Uh, Anyhow, uh, I'm just curious to see. Like after that, ex- I mean, obviously you're at UNC, you have a lot of expectation. Roy won them three championships. Ed Dean Smith, Matt Doherty didn't last long at all, even though he recruited and got some pretty decent teams that ended up winning a championship. But I'm just curious to see whether he can actually put it together this year. I mean, he lost Caleb Love. They do bring back Baycott and Leaky. He's Leaky back or Leaky go? I can't remember. But either way, that's my guy, Hugh. He's yeah. on the hot seat. Yeah, I, I think Leaky's gone, but RJ Davis will RJ be back. Davis, that's what it is, I, I yeah. think um, so. I I had Hugh uh, as well. Uh, I had Hubert actually, but uh, same guy. Um, yeah, I, I think this is a really, really, really big year. I think it's bigger than maybe it seems uh, because I think that run in his first year masked some things. I, I think missing in the tournament in year two with the starting five essentially back from a national runner-up is not good. I think it leads to a short leash. And I think, you know, I I am on the record earlier, literally this episode is saying, I love experience. He brings back those guys you mentioned, Ben, and I don't know if that's the best thing. I mean, you mentioned that, that, that Caleb Love is gone. I think Caleb Love, Caleb Love was, was sort of scapegoated to be honest. And, and, and Stephen made some points earlier about what he may or may not add to Arizona. I think, one of Davis or Love had to go in this offseason, uh, and and Love is gone. I don't believe that I have a ton of reason, unless I'm wildly underestimating the impact that Cormac Ryan or Harrison Ingram is going to have. And good transfers to boot, I'm, you know, but I don't know that I expect a ton from Carolina going into this year. And I'm not saying that I think they'll miss the tournament. I think they'll make the tournament, but they need to. I mean, Roy missed two tournaments in 18 seasons. You don't really get to miss two out of three, in my opinion. And so I think it's a bigger year than you think because, because you know, let's, let's play the down the road game. If they miss the tournament and, you know, he – I know he has early recruits for 24, but you can't really look at like class rankings for yet um, for that. You've got to make a, an immediate impact, immediate impact quick. And I can't, I, I don't think you can underestimate the impact that Duke having a coaching change and being seemingly set up for more success has on this too. I think it accelerates the the timeline as well. So yeah, for me, it's, it's, it's all Huey as well. 
Huey Davis in the in the news uh, for this one. Brian, I think you hit on the key point there. It's that you can't miss the tournament two out of three years while your biggest rival in Duke starts the year as preseason number one. And assuming it doesn't go the way that it went for North Carolina last year as preseason number one, and assuming they actually, you know, live up to expectations, make a deep tournament run, maybe go to a final four. I mean, that really accelerates things. I I don't think you can over I don't think you can overstate that enough how much your biggest rival uh, performing at a very high level while you're not ramps up pressure uh, on a coach and a program. So no doubt it, it is a huge year. I think you got, nobody has talked about Armando Baycott at all in talking about this. And he's a very good player. Like you mentioned I, him. Okay, you, you mentioned him, but like I, I feel like it's been discounted how good he is. And there was times last year like they just couldn't get him the ball or didn't get him the ball. It was almost the opposite. Uh, we we talked, Brian, you and I at times last year about Zach Eady just getting like 25 shots up. Sometimes, you know, for, there was one, I'm, I I think there was one game where Zach Eady got up 25 shots in the first half. And um, I remember we were, we were recording during a Purdue game once refreshing his shot count. And it was like 20 in the first half. It was unbelievable. Yeah, exactly. So I, I wonder if they can have a little bit more of a focus on getting our main Armando Baycott, the ball and really forcing him, force feeding him in a, what is a down ACC. The ACC was very bad last year. Very, very bad. I don't see it being a ton better this year. I, I mean, I like Duke a lot. I think Clemson, um, I think Clemson had a really good case to make the NCAA tournament last year and and probably should have, and they return a ton, and they add. So they'll be pretty good. Uh, Miami should be good as well. But this is this ACC is not the vin- vintage ACC, and uh, it will be interesting to see what happens with North Carolina there. The, the coach that I'm really interested in, or I, not interested in, I, I am interested, but I think they could really use a good year, is Porter Moser in Oklahoma. Ben, big Porter Moser guy, going oh back to his Loyola, Illinois days. But, uh, you know, he took over a program uh, from, from Lon Kruger that had been super, super consistent over the course of, I don't know, 10 or so years. And that was a year-in, year-out tournament team. Towards the end, they started making it as like 9 and 10 seeds and going out early. But there was a point where, you know, they were going to Final Fours, they were going to Sweet Sixteens. But over Lon Kruger's tenure there, they were a a tournament team basically every year he was there. And Porter Moser has not yet made the tournament yet. He's not had a winning record yet in the Big 12 yet. They had some big wins last year. They showed flashes last year, including just dominating Alabama in the SEC Big 12 Challenge. But uh, they, they finished 5-13 and 13 in conference. They lost in the first round of the Big 12 tournament to Oklahoma State. And they, they could really use a, a winning season and a big year because, you know, it, it's we talk about context in North Carolina and Duke. It's one thing when basketball is not doing well at Oklahoma, but the football team is is thriving like they had been. Well, when the football team's not doing well either, and then basketball goes out and goes five and thirteen in conference, I think that adds a lot of pressure as well. To be honest, if, if football is doing great, basketball can float under the radar a little bit more at Oklahoma, I think. Uh, but when football is not doing well and fans are maybe looking forward to the basketball season a little bit more. I think they could really use a good one. And, you know, like I mentioned at the beginning from our experience as Maryland fans with Mark Turgeon, I really do believe that going three years without making the tournament 
puts a huge damper on the fans' perspective of what you're doing and what you're building there unless you can kind of reach the ultimate mountaintop and go to a Final Four or something at some point later. Yeah, then it feels like a page has been turned. But am I, am I wrong on that, guys? Do, do, do you I, feel like those first three yeah. years hurt Mark Turgeon more than is kind of acknowledged? Yeah, it's like first impressions. I mean, people say what? First impressions are most important. You know, kind of get three years for a first impression as a basketball coach. And to the Porter Moser point, like, I do wonder if they're just kind of victim to some bad luck. I mean, they were one of two teams in Ken Palm that were under 500 as a record, but in the top, like, 55. And, like, there's no other team under 500 in the next 30 t- slots either. So they have talent. Maybe it's just a little bit more bad luck and... Maybe he gets it together this year, which I do agree. He was my second choice for most important because what he did at Lilla Chicago was unreal. Um, good old cruddy. Uh, but yeah, I think it's the same thing. Like Once you have that, you are never going to think Mark Turgeon was going to do anything different than what you expected him to do after what he, what impression he gave you for the first three years. There's just, and, you got to start off hot. And, and Stephen, you mentioned this earlier, but I think it's worth going back to, and this isn't as relevant to Turgeon as it is to, today's conversation, which is you should have momentum in constructing the roster that you want to construct three years. In. And there's, and, and it's that as much as anything, which is prove to me that you know what you need, know what you're looking for and go out and get it and fill the spots that you need. And obviously in this day and age, you can do that. You can have a team that looks completely different. Kansas state this past year, just like with the snap of your fingers. Right. And you can go mold it and find guys who want to play for you and like the way you coach and want to run the system that you're doing. Um, So yeah, at the end of year three, if you're not showing wins and you're not really setting up the team, how you want to, and the roster for success, I think it's fair to judge in this day and age at that point. Yeah. And Oklahoma has, they brought in a couple of good transfers for next year. They brought in John Hughley from Pitt is coming in. Uh, Javian McCollum. I think he was at Siena who was a, was a pretty good mid-major guard. He's going to be coming into Oklahoma and we saw the success that a lot of mid-major guards had transferring up a level last year. Perhaps he's a guy that can give them a spark. You know, when I think about that Loyola, Illinois team that that Ben loves, that was defense, defense, defense. And Oklahoma's been better defensively than than offensively uh, since since Porter's been there. But they they still haven't they haven't taken it quite to that level we saw at uh, at Loyola. So, you know, I think the key, I guess they, they kind of got to improve everywhere, but I, I wonder if that, that defense is what can really take a big step up uh, with Porter Moser. I home. wonder if he's one of those guys like a Tony Bennett that just needs guys in his system to do what he wants to do defensively. Um, and I haven't researched it enough to know what he had is similar to what he had at Loyola Chicago, but... Maybe this is his year. Yeah, perhaps. And that's why it's a huge year for him and a huge year for that Oklahoma basketball program. Uh, all right, guys. Well, that that's it for our year three coaches. Let's continue talking some hoops, though, and uh, talk about the NBA draft. So NBA draft, uh, a little under a week ago now. And the big headline to me about this draft, as it relates to a college, as it relates to college basketball, is that five of the top seven picks in the draft didn't play college ball. You also had 2023 tournament MVP, Adama Sanogo, who went undrafted. 
uh, Oscar Shibwe, the 2022 National Player of the Year, undrafted, and then Drew Timmy, who over the course of four years has essentially been one of the the constants and consistently talked about best players in college basketball also went undrafted. Now, all three of those are big guys, which we know how the game has changed. Uh, but what together does all of this say to you about the state of college basketball right now, Brian? Yeah, I think I'm not worried about the state of college basketball. I think like we knew when some of these other options were formed that they were other avenues to becoming a, an NBA draft pick and a lottery pick. I think that when a lot of the people who didn't play, I mean, the OTEs, the G League, those guys, you know, NIL wasn't as prevalent when those guys were choosing that option, right? It, to go to OTE was to make 100K in a year, and that was unbelievable. So I think NIL is going to help kids choose college more than overtime elite more than potentially G league. I don't think it's worrisome necessarily to have additional avenues to becoming a, a high level pick. I think if they were really, really, really going to put a dent in kids choosing college, we would have seen more than we've seen by now. And I think with, with Sonogo, Shibwe, Timmy, it, it is, it's fascinating to watch those guys. Um, they're, those are the mega stars of the game that we love in college basketball. You mentioned it. Traditional bigs are devalued in the NBA. They can still have a, an impact in the college game. I think that's why Hunter Dickinson's making millions of dollars to not play in the NBA this coming season, right? I think he would love to be in the NBA, uh, but he made the decision to, to, to make some money, potentially knowing that he wouldn't make as much money as a fringe NBA player down the road. So, I, it's definitely an interesting time. I wouldn't say I'm, you know, worried about the state of college basketball or anything like that. But uh, those are kind of my takes there. I, I think NIL is going to be a game changer as far as keeping some of those guys in school a little bit longer. And you do have older guys, you know, who who sometimes it's just time to start your professional career. You don't want to be in college anymore, and that's fine too. Um, but the option is going to be there to stay in with the name recognition. I think Shibwe coming off the National Player of the Year is a great example where I think some people were surprised he came back. Um, so I, I think NIL is sort of the game changer here. And I, I think this will be more of a, a blip on the radar. We're still going to have the, the international prospects, um, obviously a great one at the top of this year's draft that, of course, was going to be the number one pick. Um, but an interesting time for sure. For me, I think this all comes down to, the way you view this comes down to, why do you watch college basketball, and why do you think most college basketball fans watch college basketball? To me, the whole NBA development aspect of college basketball is not what interests me. I'm not interested in watching college basketball because it's a feeder program or a minor league system for the NBA. I remember years ago, there would be a certain time of the year, usually around February, when ESPN would just pump, 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 like, this is where this guy's projected to go in the draft. It, it, the whole conversation would become a draft conversation. And I'm like, that's not why I watch college basketball. I don't care where this guy is going to be drafted. I care if Michigan State is going to beat Indiana and Izzo's going to get a title or they're going to go to a Final Four or whatever. That's not why I watch college basketball. If that is why you watch college basketball, and that's why you think most people watch college basketball, then... 
I would say maybe the sport's in more trouble than we're letting on. I am willing to bet, though, that is not why most college basketball fans, anybody who's listening to this podcast right here, that's not why they're watching the sport. They're watching the sport because there's 100 years of tradition. They love the rivalries. They love the fan bases. They love the passion of it. And whether you're putting, like, fifth graders who, you know, can barely shoot the ball on the court in a in a Duke and North Carolina uniform or future NBA prospects, I'm willing to bet that uh, a lot of Duke and North Carolina fans will show up to the game. Ben's giving me a look like I said the dumbest thing in the world right now. So what what do you got here, Ben? Some some, uh, fifth graders, uh, no one may want to watch that game. Uh, Maybe their parents, but uh, I don't know about how much I would want to watch that game. Maybe at a halftime show. But no, I completely agree with you overall. Uh, It's the reason why people watch it is the rivalries, is the tradition, is the team not the development and i agree with you both i'm not worried about it whatsoever this year did have a lot of that like what overtime elite a lot of international players and scoot whatever in the g league but like even last year what there's like one maybe two guys taking the first round from the g league or one of those teams so i think nil helps a lot to keep those guys in so i'm not worried i would like a little bit more talent than fifth graders though on the court uh, but other than that happy as can be And I am a little more worried than you, I think. I I know why I watch. I know why a lot of people watch. But I I do think there's an insignificant portion of fans who do watch it because they want to see the next big star. I, I completely understand that selling point. And I think it's something that has to be considered and evaluated. Uh, I don't necessarily know. I don't know how you fix it necessarily um, because you can get. I mean, unless the unless college basketball completely splits off from the NCAA and becomes more or less a pro league, like a lot of like there's been a lot of talk about maybe college football could do one day completely splitting off from the NCAA. Uh, I just don't know how you would ever how you'd ever fix it, because I think a guy like Scoot Henderson could have gotten a huge, huge, huge nil deals somewhere and if that's not enough and they just really want to practice and be a pro basketball player practice like a pro basketball player not have to worry about going to class i don't really know exactly what the answer is uh, but i am willing to bet that that college hoops will be okay i would i would probably rather see and i'll ask you brian you know would you rather see a scoot henderson in in college basketball for one year or Hunter Dickinson in college basketball, or Hunter Dickinson, Oscar Sheeway, Drew Timmy type players for four years. What do you think is more appealing to you? Well, that's that's a really interesting question, and I think it's it's kind of similar to what you said. For me, I like continuity. I like that Zach Eadie's coming back this year, and I know what Zach Eadie's capable of. And we talked on this podcast about can he be a 30 minute a game guy and be impactful? And he shoved it national player of the year trophy in our face. I think that a casual fan would have loved to see scoot at Auburn or whatever his, his finalist was. Uh, I think it was Auburn that he was, he was most considering going to. Um, so that that's a really interesting question because I think I like when electric high flying freshmen come in. I think it's fun. I think the buzz around like a Zion when he was at Duke was palp. It was great for the game. It was great. It was fun. Um, But you knew he was going to be gone. 
And if Scoot had gone to Auburn, you'd know he was going to be gone. And you generally knew Brandon Miller was going to be gone. And so I, I think there has to be the Hunter Dickinson's and Zach Eadies of the world to sort of anchor for the one and dones. So, you know, I'm, I want to have my cake and eat it too. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think if I had to choose, I would choose. I, I like the continuity um, of having those guys there year in and year out. That's something people complain about all the time right now with the transfer portal. But I, I do think to some extent, like we got to see uh, Jaime Jaquez. How Was he there three years at UCLA or even was he there? A, I think it was just three. But still, th- that's longer than I think you would have thought we would see a guy like him. Drew Timmy, Gonzaga, four years. I mean, I don't need to rehash all of them, but I, I think we're seeing that more and NIL is helping with that. And we see in back-to-back years, the national player of the year year returning and that's all a really good thing i think this you need you do need some of those elite elite prospects who are going to come in and take the the college basketball world by storm uh every once in a while and and i do think we'll continue to see that but if i had to choose i'm going more for that that four-year player uh that's a really good college player that you get to know uh, because i think that was kind of what has been missing to some extent in the one and done era too we we haven't seen uh, as much of that as we would like now Let's move into Ben's favorite portion of the show, and that's trivia. You are the best trivia oh, yeah. player that we have. You're two and zero so far in the, yes, the competition that we've had here, uh, but we're hoping to change that today. We're gonna go into to week three. I will never be nearly the trivia host that Uncle Baby Billy is, and uh, I look forward to both you and everybody out there watching that third episode of Righteous Gemstones because it's a it's an all timer. I don't think my I don't think my face has has lit up like that when I've seen a character return on screen like it did when I saw Uncle Baby Billy at the Uncle Baby Billy just rolls off the tongue so well though. It's such a fantastic oh, name. Amazing. And saying with the southern accent, Uncle Baby Billy. It's amazing. <laughs> incredible character, incredible show. Have you guys ever thought about the fact and I know I'm not the first person to point this out that Righteous Gemstones is Succession? 100%. That did not hit me until this <laughs> episode, because I don't know if I ever watched them that close together, but it's just succession with religious background, basically, in a church, as opposed to a multimedia conglomerate. Exactly. It's amazing. Exactly. Incredible. Uh, all right, so let's get to it. Let's get to the trivia here. Like I said, I'll do my best to host this, not Uncle Baby Billy, but I will do my best. Uh, but actually, I will hand the reins over to Ben because he is our champion, and uh, he will be hosting the preliminary challenger round between Brian and myself. So, Ben, take it away. All right, challenger round, since we need a little rule clarification. the Both these first two questions will be who am I questions. You guys will chime in whenever you want. Per one guess per clue, though, but whoever gets to whoever says it first, if the correct answer is correct. Um, so the first one is a who am I to all the listeners out there? We're doing power five, not or non power five, excuse me, uh, people out there. So you guys are gonna have to put on your, uh, you know, non power five caps. So who am I? I was a two time offensive conference player of the year. To give you guys some reference, I was a three-year starter. I led my conference in passing yards and touchdowns for three straight years. My senior year, I led the NCAA in passing yards 
and passing touchdowns and won the Sammy Ball Trophy, which is awarded to the best passer in the country. I finished eighth in Heisman voting. I was behind players like Johnny Manziel, Trey Mason, and the ultimate winner that year was Jameis Winston, to give you guys a reference of where we are. No guesses so far, huh? Okay. Uh, I'm, running, I'm running low on clues. Um, oh, wait, I don't understand. Uh, were, were we supposed what? to be guessing, just interrupting you yeah. in the middle of this? You can guess at any point on any clue, but you only get one guess per clue. Well, the way you were, pretty the way you were, pretty you were just rolling right through them. I mean, Whoa! I thought you guys were gonna interrupt me. Just talk over me. All right. Any guesses now? I guess. Non-power five. You don't uh, get penalized Car- for a guess. Carson Wentz. No. I I don't know. I don't know who it, I. I'm having a hard time here with who the 2012 uh, yeah, Power no Five non Power Five quarterbacks you got more? were. You got more. We're in 2013. Okay, Just you got more. <laughs> uh, drafted in the second round of the NFL draft. Just oh, you can give any more guesses. No. Okay. Uh, <laughs> currently on his just moved to his second NFL team after a long stint with the team who just drafted him. So he's still active. David, David Carr. Carr. Wait, wait. Yes, what did you say, Brian? I I got it. Yeah. What did you say? David Carr. No, incorrect. And Brian or Steven also guessed David Carr. Derek Carr? Hey, there you go. It's Derek, guys. It's his brother. Oh my god. Okay. Uh, rough start yeah, for everybody. That's, that's rough tough. start. Yeah, yeah. All right. Okay. Thought that one would be a little bit easier. All right. Who am I number two? This one should So be we easy. just interrupt you at any time. Anytime. But you only get one guess per clue. So And to be fair, Steven guessed twice on that clue. But let's yeah. move on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we might have to you, do a tiebreaker. You're a terrible host. You're a terrible <laughs> host. Keep going. No, no Uncle uh, Billy here. <laughs> well, I gave you both an opportunity to realize that it wasn't David Carr. Go ahead. But, Go ahead. Uh, I hold 11 school records and five conference records, including points, career, and field goals made. I tied my school record for most points in an NCAA tournament game with the other holder was Danny Ainge. Barack Obama once said he's the best scorer in the country. Jimmer Fredette. Obviously. Jimmer Fredette. Ooh, okay. And we're going to overtime. All right. Since we're talking about Jimmer, Jimmer holds the Mountain West record for most field goals made in a career. How many did he make? Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> Who goes first? Um, I will say... Since Stephen had a little controversy with his win, we'll give Brian. You get the first. I was guess. just. Joking. I think it's okay. actually uh, better the advantage to go second. Yes, it is. Uh, okay, which Fine. is great. All right, Stephen, Again, go first. Uh, okay, so career field. It's goals. not prices right rules. It okay. is closest. However many, if you're above or below, it's closest to career field goals. Wow, this is not a stat you think about a lot. I think like points <laughs> might have been something no. we were guessing. Career field goals, career field goals. Yeah, I want to make it a little trickier. Oh my goodness. Okay, so let's. I'm just gonna talk through this so, to avoid all the 
terrible dead area, no matter if it helps Brian a little <laughs> bit. We're talking probably like a 2,000-point score here. Um, so that would be, if it was just two-pointers, that would be 1,000 made field goals, but a ton of three-pointers, obviously. Oh, my goodness. 821. Okay. <clears throat> okay. Brian? Seven forty-seven. All right, Stephen, you were pretty darn close. Eight hundred and thirty-eight. Wow. All right. So. Nice. And I remain winless on. <laughs> so Ryan, you've the never won any list. type of round, huh? I just uh, got my first question correct uh, moments ago. <laughs> so I'm feeling good about it. Uh, no, I just like hosting. I like hosting the championships. Uh, nice. Makes me feel important. Asked, uh, we've had a lot questions. of dead air, so I'm going to get right into it. Ben, defending champ, the last non-Power 5 first overall pick in the NFL draft happened in 2013. Who was it? Uh, a reminder to listeners out there that... That is incorrect, well, and Stephen now can get that right and steal that point and get the next question. Twenty thirteen. Mario Williams went to NC State, by the way. Very much a power five. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking the Texans were not power five. I also think and that was like maybe two thousand five. Was five, when he was drafted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. Brian pushed me with the no dead air comment, and it was the first name that popped in um, my head. But this is all distracting from the fact that I can't even fathom a guess here um embarrassingly enough so go ahead and give us the answer brian the answer is eric fisher tackle from central michigan uh, drafted yeah. by the kansas city That's chiefs question. okay steven you win if you get this right i, I believe based did. on the rules uh no you needed one of the first two if the other person didn't get it the all-time receiving yards leader played at a non-power five school who was it? Jerry Rice? That is incorrect. Randy ben? Moss? That is incorrect. Steven, if I give you a quick hint, can you no, get it? No, he, the hint, no. no, no he's, he, he doesn't get the credit. Okay. I want to see if he gets it. Uh, me. Oh, uh, Corey Davis? Corey Davis, wow. yeah. Wow, he has the all-time receipt career yes. receiving yards. And I would love to tell you, however, my numbers question. How many receiving yards did Corey Davis have in college? Ben, to you first. The most of all time. 5870. 5870. Steven. 4,800. Somewhere in between, okay. huh? It is somewhere in between. I was doing a little bit of quick math in my head. Um, congratulations, Stephen. Uh, uh, just a few. Uh, 5278, which is 478 yards away from what Stephen guessed. Uh, is my math right? He said 5,800, so you were mm -hmm. 520 away. So it was very, very close. But Steven Ooh, is the winner. Wow, that's of a the trivia remember challenge. Steven said. That's a relief. That's a real, real uh, relief to, that we don't have to go into another week with Ben as our reigning uh, champion when it comes to trivia. It feels really good. It feels really good to get one. Not a great performance. Non P5. Pretty hard category, Ben. 
So <laughs> pretty hard category. No kidding. <laughs> I was trying to make it different than what we did, and it made it too different. We finally took Ben down. Feels good. I'm gonna come snatch that chain from him, and uh, hopefully be wearing it on uh, next week's show. But that's our Get show. Ready. That's our show for today, guys. It was a pleasure as always. Love talking hoops. Love doing trivia. Love doing it all. We'll have more good stuff for you coming up in the weeks ahead. Until next time, keep the grill hot and the cooler cold.